Next time we do this, if they're doing the communion thoughts, we do communion after the sermon, okay? Uh, I don't want to have to follow something like that again. Uh, you might be able to tell a difference between me and Josh by this. I've got my shirt tucked in. Okay? Uh, I'm 62 years old, you know. I'm, uh, that, that still doesn't work for me, but I love seeing... Kip, I'm, I nearly joined you this morning when I saw you, but uh, I'm still not quite there yet. Uh, Josh began a series last week on Advent, and I just love this. I, I love that we in Churches of Christ, many are beginning to appreciate more these special times on the Christian calendar. And, and uh, I love the way he introduced this to you last week, this idea of longing, of, of waiting with hope. And, and then he said, though, he said, you can't get to joy if you don't experience some longing in your life. Man, I get that, don't you? He followed that up by saying, you can't get to freedom if you don't know what desperation looks like. Amen to that. Longing. Uh, dealing with brokenness and pain in your own heart to get to a better place. Hope. Hope is one of my very favorite words anymore. I have about four or five that I just live out of, and hope is one of them. Hope and peace and joy. And so we come to this Advent season, and I want to try to share something that goes along with this theme a little bit this morning. About 15 years ago, my son-in-law, my daughter, and my oldest granddaughter were living with us for just a short time. They were getting into a house, and so they lived with us for a while. And, and David wanted to put together a playlist for when he worked out. And so he came to the family, and he asked us for some input for, to his playlist. Now, I was a drummer, okay? I, I was in a group when I was at ACU. I was in a group with Ronnie Dunn of Brooks and Dunn. And I, I played drums with him. And, and uh, so the beat has always been more important to me. And I know y'all thought I was Rick Ross, the rapper. Sorry to disappoint you with that. I was a country guy. Uh, where was I? <laughs> Anyway, so I was more into the beat than I was to the lyrics of songs. Well, I'd been a member at 24-Hour Fitness, and I loved the kind of songs. They, they, they were always songs with good beats to help you work out a little bit better, you know. And, and so I just blurted out, I feel like a woman. <laughs> you know, the Shania Twain, bah, bah, nah, nah, you, know, you know the song. <laughs> and Beverly... And David and Jenny looked at me like, Dad, you have finally lost it. <laughs> and then it hit me what I had said. And I was totally humiliated. I was so embarrassed. And you know what? I've got a feeling that story is going to be told at my funeral service. <laughs> it's never going to leave me. H have you ever been just totally humiliated? Well, I want to take you to a psalm today, Psalm 34. Uh, and, and here's the superscription to that psalm. It says, of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Now, I want you to realize that there are 
this particular, these superscriptions were added years after the Psalms were actually written. The Psalms were put together into, this was the Jewish songbook, the Psalms, the Psalter. And, and when they put them together, they, they put some of these superscriptions. It's, it's just between the number of the psalm and where it actually begins to try to explain to you maybe the setting a little bit. There are a number of scholars who believe that this is not really fitting to this psalm. But we're going to go on the assumption this morning that this is, okay? We're going to go under the assumption that this is when David wrote this psalm. And if so, then David wrote this psalm at a time of great humiliation, so we need to know the background to this story for just a moment. David was trying to escape from King Saul. And so he fled from his homeland, and he fled to the land of his arch enemies, the Philistines. He, he apparently, if you read the text, he was wanting to become like a mercenary, a soldier in the army of the king of Gath. But there were some guys in the court of the king of Gath who recognized David. And so they went to the king and they told him, this guy is a mighty Israelite warrior. I mean, you remember the story of Goliath, right? Goliath was their champion. And David had taken him out. And maybe you didn't know, this is hidden in the biblical text later on, David also killed Goliath's giant brothers too. Well, and then there's this other story. David wanted to marry Michael, the daughter of Saul. He goes to Saul and asks for her hand, and Saul says, okay, you can marry her if you kill 100 Philistine soldiers and bring me back their foreskins. That probably intimidated the Philistines quite a bit. Are you with me? And so here's this mighty warrior that's killed over 100 of them. And now David finds himself between a rock and a hard place. And so what did he do? This is the backstory. story. 1 Samuel 21 says, So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. That's, that's not very dignified, by the way. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? So he pretended to be insane. I'm sorry. And so he continues that, Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And so David was delivered from the hands of the king of Gath. But in order to do that, he had to humiliate himself. And sometime later, as he's reflecting upon that deliverance, he gives credit to God for his deliverance. And I, perhaps he sat down to write Psalm 34. His experience through that gave him spiritual insight to see life differently. And so this psalm, I'll tell you what, you spend time with this psalm, it'll help you to look at life differently. Psalm 34, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. But before beginning, I want you to know that this is one of a handful of psalms that were written in an acrostic form. What does that mean? Well, every line begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Imagine the foresight that would take, especially back before the days of erasers or before the days that you can edit something on, on your computer. 
so you've got to have the foresight to think, okay, this line's going to be, begin with A, this one's going to begin with B, right on down through the Hebrew alphabet. Now, they did skip a few letters, just like if we were doing an acrostic in English, we'd probably live at, leave out Q and Z. But still, it follows this form. And so the key verse, I believe, in this psalm is this one. And this is kind of where we're going to center our thoughts today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I'll spend more time on that particular verse in just a moment. But I want to show you several taste and see ideas that are in this psalm. The first one is this. Taste and see that God is awesome. Here's how the psalm begins. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Go to the next slide, please. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Verse 31 again says this. I'm sorry, verse 1. <laughs> Thank you. Verse 1 says, I will extol the Lord when? At all times. His praise, will, when will it be on my lips? Will always be on my lips. It isn't hard to praise God when the sun is shining and when everything's going great. But David urges us to praise God all the time. And Paul's going to repeat this later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 when he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I think this is important. I don't think David nor Paul would have wanted us to come away from this thinking that we give thanks to God for everything. The preposition that's used is very important. It doesn't say give thanks for everything. It says give thanks in everything. Are you with me? There's a big, big difference. No matter what my life circumstances are, nothing changes this fact that God is awesome. And there's nothing like a great deliverance to inspire us to worship. It serves kind of like a spiritual telescope. It, it, it makes the bigness and the majesty of God clearer and nearer. And when we've tasted and seen God's awesomeness, it should always lead us to joy. Second, taste and see that He can do it. Verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Next slide, please. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. This relates to God's ability to rescue us in our times of trouble. David reminds us that there are moments when we have nothing left but God, but in those moments, we need not despair. 
He acknowledges that people in pain and people in fear are going to feel weak. But there is a spiritual protection that is real. And sometimes, maybe you've been there, I hope you have, sometimes you can even feel it. A good example is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. The king of Syria was wanting to attack Israel and overrun them. But he was running up against this problem. Every time he would go to do something, it's like the king of Israel knew what he was going to do. Well, it's because Elisha the prophet was using his prophetic powers to tell the king of Israel what the plans of the king of Syria were. And so the king of Syria comes with his army and he surrounds the city in which Elisha lived. And it's there that we read this. Because he was wanting to capture him, he was wanting to kill him. And so this is what it says. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I want you to notice the wording here. What shall we do? And Elisha says, don't. What shall we do? Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah, Elisha. Folks, we got to get this. I've got to get this. Because that sounds like a real cool story that happened one time in history. And it is really beautiful, isn't it? But do you hear what David is telling us in this psalm? David is telling us that everyone who, hears the, who fears the Lord is surrounded by angels. We're really no different than this. And remember this, 1 John 4 and verse 4. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Taste and see, number three, that he's good all the time. Verse four says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I think this captures the very essence of this psalm. As David invites us to experience God the way David experiences God. Fear the Lord. I'm a little bit concerned with the way we've gone back and forth in our dealings with the idea of fearing God because when I was growing up, it was like there's an all-seeing eye watching you and he's waiting to zap you. And then we go to another extreme. Well, fear doesn't really mean Fear, it means respect. And, and it's, the truth is somewhere in there. But let's not water down too much this idea of us needing to fear the Lord. What does fearing the Lord mean? Well, it means to reverence Him. It means to recognize He has a special place. It doesn't mean cringing. To me, the fear of the Lord is similar to the fear we need to have of electricity. Electricity is a marvelous thing, isn't it? 
It's a cold day outside. We're meeting here in a warm building because of electricity. Well, y'all may have gas. I don't know. I didn't mean personally. I mean the church building might have gas. (laughs) And we've got lights. I mean, electricity is a marvelous thing, isn't it? But we all know, we all know that you need to respect electricity. And you can't approach electricity flippantly because it'll kill you. And basically, to fear the Lord means to learn to live in the wonder and the awe of this amazing God. Taste. It's one of our senses, and it's a powerful one, isn't it? Uh, If you've ever had a cold or gone for a period of time where you can't taste very well, it kind of takes some of the Joy out of life, doesn't it? Here it's using the, ascent, the sense of experiencing something for ourselves. And any of you who are parents can identify with this situation. You've prepared a meal, you put it on the table, and someone sitting at that table says, I don't like it. I know that because I used to be that kid. I don't like it. Well, have you ever tried it? No, but I don't like it. (laughs) Now, I have grown up, and I now enjoy things that I went for years thinking I didn't like, but I finally tasted them. I got to tell you, though, there's still some things that make my list. Menudo is not on my list, okay? Raw oysters, uh uh-uh, not for me. Mountain oysters, nuh-uh-uh, not for me. (laughs) Beverly, on the other hand, we travel, we love to travel, and she always wants to try whatever the local dish is. We went to Scotland a few years ago, and she ate haggis. You know what haggis is? It's basically vegetables stuffed into a sheep's stomach. And that's their national dish. But she liked it. She ate blood pudding. She says, no, I didn't eat blood pudding. I ate black pudding. It's the same thing, honey. (laughs) Same thing. But you know what? I envy her a little bit because she gets more enjoyment out of life because she's willing to try things that are new. And so back at the end of May, early part of June, we took two of our grandsons on a trip. When our grandkids get to be 12 years old, we kind of let them choose a trip that they want to take, and Truett was 11, but we fudged a little bit because our oldest grandson was about to turn 12, and they're big buddies. So we took them on this trip together. We flew to Boston, we drove to New York City, went to Washington, D.C., and while we were in Washington, D.C., one night I said, hey guys, let's try this Thai restaurant. I looked over at Truett, and bless his heart, he pulled it off really well, but I could tell that wasn't on the top of his list, okay? But he he was going to go along with it. I said, Truett, look, buddy, we'll find something on the menu that you like. I said, they have stuff kind of like fried chicken. You know, we'll find something that you like. So we got there, and we were looking at the menu, and I said, do you like chicken? He said, yes. I said, do you like rice? Yes. I said, let's get you some chicken fried rice. I took this picture. It's not the best picture in the world, but it's because, let me, let me tell you why it doesn't necessarily look like the best picture in the world. It should have been a video, 
And if it was a video, you would not see Truett's fork moving because it was going so fast, it just wouldn't. He, he ate that whole plate of food in a matter of minutes, and he loved it. And you know why he loved it? Because he was willing to try it. He was willing to try Thai food. And so two nights later, when it was Truett's turn to choose where we were going to eat, guess where we went? We went back to that Thai restaurant, and he got another plate of chicken fried rice. Now, when it comes to God and His Word, there are a lot of people who are not willing to even try it or taste it. And here's, the, here's one of the ironies to me. Oftentimes, the people who aren't even willing to try God or to taste His Word are the ones who are most vocal about how, it, how bad it tastes. They've never even tried it. It's no different than someone saying, I don't like Thai food when they've never even tried it. In Psalm 1, as the Psalter opens, there is this theme in that song, and it, psalm, and it's mentioned several times about meditating on the Word of God. Did you know that word meditating actually comes from a word that describes the way a cow chews its cud? When we meditate on the Word of God, we chew it up. We chew it and we savor it. And only then will it have any value for us. And so David says, taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we have this saying, I'll, 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 I'm sorry. I'll believe it when I see it. And Scripture takes that and flips it totally upside down. Because Scripture says, I'll see it when I believe it. Not I'll believe it when I see it. And what is it that we'll see? We will see that the Lord is good. The image of David that David paints for us here is one of safety and security for those who have God-focused hearts. David says that they will lack nothing in verse 9. He says they will lack no good thing in verse 10. That doesn't mean that every desire and every, every wish we have is going to be fulfilled, but it means that God will supply exactly what we need. Because God is good. And how often is He good? He's good all the time. Fourth, taste and see his ways work. Sometimes psalms sound a little bit more like proverbs, and there's this section in the middle of this psalm that sounds more like a proverb. Uh, it highlights the wisdom of doing things God's way. And so here's what it says in verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now why does David mention these things at this point in this peril, in this psalm? Well, it's because following God's commands takes courage and it takes trust when we're in a hostile environment. And sometimes in times like that, it's just good to be reminded that following God's way is a better way. Fifth, taste and see that God is not ignoring you. 
One of the beauties of being delivered is to the reminder that God hears the cries of those who fear Him. There are times when it might seem like God isn't listening. There's times, and I've been there, when it seems like God is ignoring our cries for help. But then verse 15 says this, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. God is not ignoring what's happening to us. God sees it. God knows what we're going through. God hears the cries of our hearts. And verse 16 then says, But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. Listen, God knows what the unrighteous have done. God knows what the unrighteous are doing in our world today. And someday, God's going to make everything right. Verse 17 says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. God takes our prayers seriously. And then verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, that verse speaks to me. Those words speak into brokenness. Because it is very easy to think that because God does not act the way I want Him to, or immediately when I want Him to, that God doesn't care. But David reminds every hurting person, and that's speaking to a lot of you here today, and he speaks to every one of us, and says that those who put their trust in God will find comfort. Peter later says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Finally, taste and see that He is our ultimate hope. In this final section of the psalm, David looks beyond our immediate circumstances, and he looks to the ultimate hope that we have in God. He says this in verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. He goes on to say, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. David acknowledges here that life is filled with many difficulties. But he knows that in the end, God will deliver us from them all. Listen, some of you are needing to hear this word right now. Affliction does not have the last word. Suffering does not have the last word. Grief does not have the last word. Brokenness does not have the last word. God does. Life is hard, but God's going to make it right. I I, I can't pass by without at least mentioning verse 20. Uh, Verse 20 says this. It says, He protects all His bones, not one of them will be broken. When John writes his gospel many, many years later, when Jesus is on the cross, John refers back to this as being fulfilled at that moment. And it just strikes me that even as Jesus 
is hanging on the cross as the curse of the sin of the world, that God was taking care of him. Well, this psalm concludes with concepts that fill us who know Jesus with hope. Because here at the end, he talks about refuge and redemption and rescue and no condemnation. David's rescue from the clutches of the king of Gath is simply a foreshadowing of the rescue that you and I have received through Jesus Christ. Back in verse 22, he said this, No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. David speaks about a concept that is only fully realized, only fully celebrated in Jesus Christ. I can only imagine, that'd be a good title for a song, by the way. (laughs) I can only imagine what it's going to be like someday when I stand before God in heaven. But I do know this. I don't know everything that that's going to be about, but I do know this. I will stand there only because. Let me repeat that. I will stand there only because of the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. And it will be the basis for us being able to sing. And I want you to read these words with me, the first three verses of this song. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Okay, so it's uh, getting close to lunchtime. And I'm a little bit hungry. Last night we went to, Casey took us to go see the lights out at the park, and it was really cool. But after that, we went to Krispy Kreme Donuts. And uh, I knew that I was going to be getting hungry about this point in my sermon. So I saved one. And it's one of my favorite kind. It's a chocolate-covered with custard in the middle. And you, you know, how many of you like these? Okay, you know how when you bite into it, the first thing you kind of taste is the chocolate, and then you hit that cool part of the custard, and it kind of just, it all mixes together in that flavor in your mouth, kind of like this. Are you with me? Here we go. (laughs) Did you catch that? I mean, did you feel the way that the custard... Mixed with the chocolate. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Let's try it again. Maybe you can catch on this time. (laughs) This time, really pay attention to how the chocolate and the custard mix together. Did you get it that time? Do one of y'all want to finish this? (laughs) Okay, here's my point. Because I think this is a powerful point. And not because I thought of it. I cannot, you cannot get any nourishment or even enjoyment out of watching somebody else eat something. It does not nourish your body. 
It might make your saliva, you know, it might make your mouth water, but it doesn't nourish you at all. And when it comes to God and his word, you have to taste it for yourself. Josh can't do that for you. Your shepherds can't do that for you. If you're married, your spouse can't do that for you. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to experience it for yourself. And when you do, when you do, you too will be filled with the anticipation and the hope that this season of Advent speaks to. I'm going to ask that the prayer leaders go to their places. And uh, if you need to come in just a moment and share a prayer request, I think they'll be at every exit. Or maybe if you need to come and share something publicly, you can come forward and do that as well. Thank you for the privilege of being with you today. It's always a blessing. I'm so grateful for the way that you love my son and his wife and their, their family. It really speaks to me and it means a lot to me. And you are so blessed to have this guy with you every week leading you in worship. Let's stand and sing.